Good afternoon. Um, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to our conference on Argentina this afternoon. For any student or teacher of Latin America, Argentina plays an important role in the hemisphere and beyond. The Peron phenomena, including Evita, her own companion, Nadie London and Broadway musical dramas, demands a second or third look when discussing Argentina in the critical pre and post World War II. The same is true concerning the most recent political developments in that nation. Much of the gun drama is not really gone, judging by the strength Peronismo continues to display to some, to some extent in electoral events. The story is more complex when looking at Christina Kirchner's attempts to elevate herself or demean herself when replaying the sordid Peronist drama over her government. And what are the uh, current perspectives of uh, President Macri? Undoubtedly, Argentina is a topic which requires historians and political analysts with proven moral weight and talent. We're very fortunate to count among our friends a true analyst with great fame and a proven reputation. No better than my esteemed friend, Hector Chamis, who shared with us his ideas on Argentina, including the uh, Cristina's epoch, as well as the Macri imprints, looking not only at the present juncture, but also the future. Uh, before we begin the uh, Professor Shamis's lecture, I will take two minutes to uh, extend a warm welcome to, uh, to a very good friend, an old friend of mine, and one of the uh, founders of Hudson, Professor Max Singer, who resides in Israel, but uh, he, uh, he comes to visit us once in a while. Thank you, Max. I also uh, need to express our thanks to Dr. John Walters, the Vice President of the organization, who has been such a great supporter and a great friend was. And of course, we, uh, we thank very much uh, Rachel Cox, our Director of, uh, of Public Affairs, and uh, my assistant, what was your name? <laughs> Laura, Laura, Laura. Well, Without any further ado, I turn the podium to Dr. Shamis. Well, thank you, Jaime, for inviting me for your kind words and, and your friendship over the years. That, uh, Every time I've been here, it was rewarding and, uh, and extremely motivating and provocative discussion. And 
And today, Jaime invited me to discuss my own country, which is, you know, uh, a double challenge. It's, it's nice and motivating, but at the same time, it's like, you know, to be up to the task. Given that I, I, I do go to Argentina frequently, I'm very uh, involved as a columnist, and you know, in addition to my, my Georgetown job, I, I have a column in El País, Madrid, and, uh, and once in a while I do address Argentina, I do write on Argentina, although a lot less than on Venezuela, I, mean, <laughs> I must say, for reasons that we all know. Uh, it's interesting the Hudson Institute label or entitled this session as a new political order in Argentina. Uh, that's you know really pushing the boundaries. I mean, I would I would agree with a new political new party system in the making, not necessarily a new political order because Argentina has been democratic since 1983. Uh, and has, uh, I must say, quite fortunately, uh, dribbled uh, some important crisis along the way. Uh, and, uh, and there is democracy, and uh, safe for the foreseeable future. In that sense, I'm very un-Argentine in the way I read uh, Argentina's politics these days. Very un-Argentine because I'm optimistic, and you know, whoever has been in Argentina, everybody knows that that's very un-Argentine to be optimistic, and, and, and I've been writing very optimistic uh, pieces on Argentina for quite a while, actually, beginning with the crisis of 2001-2002, if you, know, you, you want to know. Uh, I wrote a Journal of Democracy article the night of uh, January 1st, 2001, when uh, Dualde sworn in in Congress, and he was the sixth president in a week. Uh, and uh, after the De La Rua resignation. And, and, I w and that was an optimistic uh, story in which uh, for any similar crisis like that in the past, the military had been going to downtown Buenos Aires and take over. And it didn't happen that time. And the Congress was open for a marathonic session that day to resolve the crisis and with the agreement between Raul Alfonsín, then senator, and Dualde, senator, they agreed to uh, sworn in Dualde as, in Dualde as uh, president. And for good or bad, the crisis was weathered. So let me, let me go back to the specifics. What's going on in Argentina now? What is Cambiemos? What is uh, Pro? What is uh, the Macri's presidency and, and the future of Argentina's democracy as well? Uh, let, me, let me go back and forth in time, and uh, uh, let me start with uh, what by now is an anecdote. Uh, I was in Buenos Aires the night of November 22nd, 2015. That was the election that uh, brought Mauricio Macri to the presidency. Uh, and, uh, and that night I wrote a column. Uh, I, I was in the bunker, as they say, Cambiemos bunker, uh, until way late, but I went back to where I was staying and uh, I, wrote a, I wrote a column for a país that I sent in the middle of the night, uh, and it was there 
did that virtually during the morning hours in Madrid, but you know, late night, la madrugada, in uh, this side of the Atlantic. And the title was A New Republic in Argentina. Uh, a New Republic was, it was the beginning of a new political time. A New Republic in the metaphor, as a metaphor of the way many countries do it when there is a significant change in the political system, like, the, like France or Brazil in the Americas. Uh, when there is a significant institutional change and there is not necessarily a change of regime, but there is a new republic, a republic that starts to operate, operate under different sets of mechanisms and incentives. And, uh, and I said that it was a new republic for a variety of reasons right there that night. Uh, first, Mauricio Macri was that night and is the first president in a century that is not a Peronist, a radical from a radical party, or a military. Uh, and that was what happened that night. Uh, it was a, what uh, students of American politics would know as a, I, I consider as a critical election, paraphrasing V.O. Key. Uh, those elections that reorganize the coalitional game in the, on the territory. Uh, and I saw that right there, and I was uh, looking at the projected uh, results on the TVs and, and those you know, beautiful maps that tell you in a snapshot what's going to happen, right? I always, whenever there's an election in the US, uh, the first thing I look at is the map, not at the map by states, but the map by counties. And that tells you what American politics is all about. And I tried to do the same in Argentina, but right already there, uh, the night of that election, it was suggesting what we know better now, which is that uh, it was a critical election. There was a reorientation in the preferences of the electorate. Uh, and it was the emergence of a new political party, PRO, uh, which means Republican proposal. Uh, that's, that's what it means. And uh, uh, little by little, uh, the map started to turn yellow in the cities. Uh, the, the map of that night, and now, now it's all the more clear the last election, the, the congressional election, midterm election a few weeks ago. But even that night, that incipient uh, emergence of this coalition pro with uh, this, the, the radical party, the historical radical party, was beginning to show that a, a, a dramatic advantage in the, in the urban areas of Argentina, uh, and particularly pro, uh, even more than, than the radical party. Uh, a party that, uh, uh, that was expressing from in the middle of the country, and, and of course Buenos Aires, but also the, the, the biggest cities in Argentina are in the middle of the country, from the Andes, Mendoza, all the way to the east, Concordia, Paraná, Santa Fe, Rosario, Cordoba, you name it, Rio Cuarto, and the important cities in the, in the province of Buenos Aires, Mar del Plata or Bahia Blanca, and so on and so forth, but it was leading uh, significantly comfortably in, in all the urban set settings. Uh, and then playing a little bit with that, I began to speculate 
sort of, you know, theoretically on a, on, in the column on a, quickly on a number of issues uh, about what was going on there with this uh, critical election, with this new republic. Uh, first of all, uh, a couple of things. Pro is the is a new political party not just because it was founded in the 21st century. That's an interesting thing. Pro is the is the newest political party. Pro is the f first party of the 21st century to come to office in all over Latin America. And when I say this, I say this with a sort of a, with a degree of uncertainty in terms of what form will political parties, what, what will be the shape of political parties in the future, knowing that uh, we're in a dilemma in democracy, in the world in generally. We can't do without parties, but we also know that parties are in trouble. Parties are organizations that do not represent uh, aspirations of societies in the same way they used to, uh, aspirations that have changed dramatically and that parties are very hierarchical, structured organizations, uh, very disciplined organizations, and that doesn't work in societies these days that have become more horizontal. It doesn't, it doesn't work in the workplace. Uh, it doesn't work in politics either. Uh, Probe comes to the scene with a, with a new conception of a political party. Uh, more like, if you want, uh, like a social movement than a political party in the traditional sense. Uh, it's a party with, an, uh, with a horizontal political culture, if, if you may, uh, if I may. Uh, it's the party of the que se vayan todos, interestingly enough. The crisis of 2001-2002 sent Argentines to the street when the La Rua resigned and Argentina defaulted from its debt, and uh, a process that lasted until last year, literally. Uh, one way or another, and uh, and uh, people went to the streets demanding their, everybody's resignation, everybody's everybody meaning the political elite, uh, everybody's departure. They should all leave. They meaning the political elite, uh, and that was the, the the origin of pro created in the wake of that uh, important crisis. The, the urban component of PRO makes it the party of the middle class, par excellence. Not only the middle class, but it's the party of the middle class. Uh, the party of uh, the middle income, uh, upward uh, mobile and progressive electorate. The party of uh, the professionals that uh, Argentina is a very urbanized country. Uh, as much as the taxi drivers. Uh, the party of the medium voter, if I may use the you know, famous expression. Uh, the party of that um, wide middle ground, the party of the pragmatic and, uh, and moderate voter that uh, has a middle class component and has aspirations of upward mobility. Uh, for themselves and for their children more than anybody else. Uh, this is a pattern that you know, I saw emerging in 2015 and, and this past October consolidated. That yellow people, people now have an expression in Argentina, the yellow map. Uh, 
uh, which is a yellow is the color of pro, is a, a distinctive color of pro, and the map is turning yellow again in all the important urban centers of the country, and, and that allowed the, the party to carry uh, important provinces, uh, the, the vast majority of the provinces. So, uh, again, let me play back and forth, continue playing back and forth between seven, 15 and 17. Uh, Pro is also uh, the party of the bourgeoisie uh, in both ways. In, the, in a Barrington Moore sense, in the famous phrase of Barrington Moore, social origins of democracy and dictatorship, no bourgeoisie, no democracy. And, uh, and it's the party of the bourgeoisie in the sense of cities, but it's also a party of the bourgeoisie in the sense of income. The upper income, the upper social strata of society massively uh, voted for PRO, for Cambiemos, the coalition, uh, and massively participates uh, in, in politics today, in, in the politics of the coalition Cambiemos. And that is, uh, in a way, the hypothesis I play with in, in the original piece in 15, the Achilles heel of Argentine politics. Since 1930, the upper social strata abandoned democratic politics to play politics with the military. It's, just, it's an ongoing uh, argument that uh, the most uh, prominent sociologists of Argentina have developed way back, beginning with Torquato de Tela, who said, well, when, when the bourgeoisie doesn't play politics, democratic politics, and starts playing politics with the military institution and turns the military institution as its political party, the result will be serious instability of democracy. And pretty much that is a, an argument that fit the Argentine uh, story very well. Uh, and that was, in, in many ways, uh, another unresolved issue. Uh, the upper social strata, uh, the business elite, didn't participate in democratic politics as uh, strongly and as convinced uh, with the, convic the conviction uh, that, that group has today. Uh, and that's good news. That's good news for the institutional stability of a democratic system. Uh, another discussion in Argentina about PRO, and, uh, and, and I know Jaime wanted me to say a couple of things about PRO. Uh, in, uh, in certain political groups in uh, Argentina pro is considered the right of the conservative you know, party. Uh, in some ways it is, in, in terms of representation of the upper social strata as a group. But uh, in another sense, it's way removed from any form of conservatism. Uh, I think in many ways uh, pro picks up two important trends in Argentine history, in recent Argentine history, in relatively recent Argentine history. First, uh, the coalition picks up Alfonsin's concern with constitutional democracy. Alfonsin, first president of Argentina in 1983, uh, after the military regime, uh, who campaigned reading the preamble of the constitution, uh, and used to talk about things that uh, sounded weird for Argentines, like uh, constitutional uh, checks and balances and separation of powers. Uh, and that was his you know, campaign uh, and Alfonsin 
made a difference, I've seen change to some extent the grammar of politics in Argentina. Uh, Pro and Cambiemos picks that up uh, and takes it forward very strongly. Uh, the concern not just with democracy as a series of, uh, as a method for choosing a government, right? Uh, like the old uh, Schumpeter uh, argument, democracy is a method of uh, uh, getting to power, uh, and democracy is also a method about exercising power once you're there. Uh, and uh, in, the, in the spirit of Alfonsin, uh, the, the current coalition in, in, in power picks that up. Democracy as a mechanism for electing a government and democracy as a series of institutional mechanisms that determine how power must be exercised. And again, with separation of powers, with checks and balances, uh, with uh, limited terms in office, et cetera, et cetera, in a presidential system, of course. Pro also picks up on a previous important trend in, in Argentine history, which is from this is uh, developmentalism. Uh, president in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, there was a president that uh, had a project for Argentina. Uh, energy, developing energy resources, developing infrastructure, and assigning a central role to the state in developing both uh, important areas. Energy uh, autonomy and infrastructure development in order to foster economic growth, rapid economic growth. Uh, the coalition picks up uh, that as well. So it's constitutional democracy with a central role of the state uh, in the economy. Not as a producer, but as a, a propeller of economic growth via infrastructure and energy. All these trends uh, I argue, got consolidated in the recent election, as I said. Uh, both August and October, Argentina has a weird electoral system, and it has a mandatory primary, open primary, uh, which happened in August, and then the real midterm election, which took place in October. Uh, and that marks perhaps a definitive transformation of Argentina's political uh, system a cycle that will eventually be completed in 2019, the next presidential election cycle. Uh, a couple of important things happen. Uh, first, uh, now uh, Cambiemos will have a, a majority in the House, not in the Senate, but will have a majority in the House after this next election. Uh, the pro the, the coalition controls the majority of the provinces, and uh, there are important changes in terms of the composition of the other parties uh, outside of, uh, of outside of Cambiemos. A uh, couple of things that I want to mention about the new political order of in Argentina. Uh, number one, the end of bipartisanship. Uh, a system that uh, was bipartisan since the return of democracy in 1983 with the two historical parties, the Peronist Party, or Justicialista is the term of Peronism, and the Radical Party now has a third player in a coalition with, the, with one of them. 
but as a, as a majority partner in that coalition at the same time. Pro is a majority partner, not the radical party. So uh, this change in, in the party system in Argentina makes it look a little bit like there are two options. A little bit like uh, Chile, if the coalition can be most continuous in the future. A little bit like Chile in the transition and the concertation, the alliance between the left and the Christian Democrats uh, that later on changed as a Nueva Mayoría, and that changed slightly. But I, I, I'd like to see uh, the political system in Argentina very similar, and I, I think it does look very similar to the early transition years and the three, the three first presidencies after Pinochet in Chile, with two parties in a coalition and another party outside. A, a formula that worked very well and that provided stability and that provided uh, all the tools necessary for a smooth transition as possible. And in those years, you know, people tend to forget how unstable Chile was in the early 90s and how uncertain that transition was right after Pinochet, with Pinochet still around and as a commander-in-chief of, of the army, by the way, in the 90s. Uh, another option for Argentina is, in, in order to keep it in the neighborhood, if the coalition Cambiemos doesn't continue in the future and the parties, because coalitions may or may not last, uh, and then if we have a three-party system, then it would look a little bit like Uruguay, in which the center is the, the, the traditional bipartisan system, Blanco Colorado, uh, liberal and conservative Partido Nacional and the, and the, Partido, and the liberal party Colorados, change with the emergence of the Frente Amplio, with the left becoming viable, ele viable electorally and, and having had now three consecutive presidents. Uh, and this is a, quite interesting because we know that uh, when there is a change in political parties, in the political party system, uh, there is instability generally and, and there is oftentimes a deep conflict. The example of Uruguay is, is, is interesting because it happened without any conflict, any serious conflict, without any instability. Uh, and it's been working quite well. And, and that's a possibility for Argentina as well, sort of going the Chile way with the continuation of the coalition Cambiemos or going the Uruguayan way without the continuation of the coalition with a three-party system. And several other uh, but minor, minor parties around these three you know, big traditional and historical political forces. Uh, I predict the coalition will continue uh, because both parties, the radical party and the pro, have incentives to maintain it. Uh, I think it's the most effective uh, mechanism to govern in in what we call in, in political science coalition presidentialism. Uh, uh, the presidential institution is an American invention, but it's an American invention that relies on, 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 on a two-party system. Uh, and then for all experts you know, in, in political science, uh, that's the way presidential institution works. It doesn't work well when you have a multi-party system. And we've had in Latin America a, a discussion for the last 30 years at least on whether we should go parliamentarian given that we have multi-party systems in all the countries of Latin America. And moreover, uh, not only we have a, a multi-party system, but th that, those systems have become more and more fragmented since the transitions of the 80s. 
Uh, and so how, how do we govern uh, a democracy with a presidential institution and with a fragmented party system? And, and, and recently, uh, new ideas have been developed and, and have worked quite well, what we call coalitional presidentialism. A president that creates a coalition and with certain institutional tools uh, provide incentives to make the presidential systems a little more parliamentarian, if you want. The French system is one of them. And all Latin American countries have a French system, double round electoral uh, system. What's going to happen in Chile now is that the two candidates that will go for the second round are going to start making their own coalition. And whoever gathers the, the most, you know, the strongest support will be elected president. Uh, in a way, uh, that's the, the French system incorporated to the presidential institution is, is, a, is a good idea. It makes the system more governable. I think, uh, I think that for those reasons, the coalition will continue. Uh, think about Peru, for example, by the way, or Chile itself or Brazil. Uh, in, in Peru, since after Fujimori, no president has had a parliamentary majority. And, and they managed to weather that opposition quite well. If you look at Peru, Peru, since post-Fujimori has been stable, its economy has grown, uh, Gini coefficient came down, uh, and all of that while in a divided government. Uh, all of that with strong incentives to create this parliamentary, this congressional coalitions to be able to govern. And no president, neither Kuczynski, before Umala, Alan Garcia, you go back to the you know, post-Fujimori years, uh, coalitional presidentialism made Peru quite stable. And with good economic policy making, by the way, with very, very effective economic policy making. Uh, for those reasons, uh, I think the Argentina will continue with this new political system and the cycle, uh, unless the, uh, if, Unless something happens, something dramatic happens in the next two years, I can't foresee Cambiemos winning the presidential election in 2019, uh, most likely with Macri going for a second term. But also keep in mind another interesting aspect of pro and contrast that with Chile, just to, to make an argument. Pro has very many presidentials, not just Macri. He has Mario Eugenia Vidal, he has Marcos Peña himself. Is a young party. Uh, is a party that has brought a renewal of political elites to Argentina, uh, something that many countries in Latin America are struggling with, Chile among them, right? I mean, the Bachelet is leaving power after her second term. Pinera, if he got elected, would be a second term. Lagos uh, was originally a candidate. Ricardo Lagos was a candidate, uh, also would have been a second term on the side on the left. Uh, uh, participation is very low in Chile. There is there is quite a bit of fatigue with the with the political elite in in Chile itself. Not with Argentina's political elite because there's been a renewal, an important renewal of leaders, uh, and that is to be owed to the emergence of pro and all this generation of young people that have come to power and, and are ready to govern and and have been doing it. So. Uh, uh, that's also uh, part of
part of my source of part of the source of my optimism. Okay. Uh, to conclude, I want to say something about what you're all expecting me to say, because whenever you go to talk about Argentina, uh, it all comes down to one thing and only one thing: the bed noir, uh, right? And that's Peronism. And uh, it's been, you know, we used to say in grad school that. Uh, well, whatever you want to talk about Argentina, if you're writing about the right in Argentina or you're writing about the military in Argentina or you're writing about uh, economic development in Argentina, you don't, know, you don't have to write about any of that. You just need to write about Peronism because it's, it's the, the, the independent variable, the, the, the over-determinacy of Argentina is that Peronism explains everything, uh, right? And it's the bed noir, is that, you know, undesirable force that you know we we don't want it we don't like it is the is the culprit of everything i tend to be a, 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 quite a bit more agnostic about this uh, characterization now i do think that uh the the argentina's democracy needs peronism to make a couple of decisions um, and it wouldn't be the first time let me tell you because there is a, uh, in, in the construction of this myth of the, the Bet-Ma-Peronism, uh, there is a self-fulfilling prophecy that the Peronists have said for a number of years and everybody else have repeated, uh, which is unwarranted. Number one, uh, it said uh, Peronism wins all elections. It's the hegemonic party. I've been in academic conferences almost fighting with people who, use, who say Peronism is a hegemonic party. And no. A hegemonic party doesn't lose elections. A hegemonic party wins all elections. The PRI in Mexico was hegemonic between the revolution and 2000. Why? Because it won all elections. That's the indicator of hegemon a hegemonic party. Peronism lost the first election in the return of democracy, 1983. You forget that. <laughs> Peronism lost uh, an election right after that, they lost an election in the Buenos Aires province, the main electoral district, the, the, the district that decides everything. It's uh, one third of the country, one third of voters live in the province of Buenos Aires. Peronism lost in 1999, and Peronism lost now in 2015, and yet again lost the province of Buenos Aires, and then they lost again in 2017. So, because of that, the myth continues. Peronism is the only one that can finish a presidential term. And it's not true either. Eduardo Dualde, when he came to office, Peronist, when he came to office through Congress by a congressional crisis resolution, uh, also had to leave uh, office earlier. He had to call for an early election because in, in the Argentina of those days, he couldn't govern either. And, uh, and he was sworn in to finish the previous president's term, but he, got, he had to anticipate the call for elections, and that's the way it happened. And by the way, uh, the, the presence the, or the competition between three Peronist candidates in that election, 2003, is, is also evidence of that, that, you know, what you say about Argentine politics, you might as well say about Peronism without any, there is no bed noir. Now, uh, uh, Peronism 
the party, the movement, the, the, the identity has to make a couple of decisions. Number one, it has to decide whether it's going to continue as hostage of Christina Kirchner or it's going to drop Christina Kirchner along the, the way. Uh, uh, because Kirchnerism, which has been part of Peronism, has also been a, a, peculiar, a peculiar political group within Peronism as well. Uh, in a number of ways, uh, the Kirchners came to office uh, with the best economic decade uh, in the last hundred years, with the strongest prices and the super cycle and the, the viento de cola and the soya at uh, six hundred dollars and uh, etc. etc. Uh, and they used uh, the windfall to develop a a new political scheme that even went beyond the traditional way of doing politics on the part of Peronism. Uh, it was to, push, to, to foster fragmentation, fragmentation of the political system, including fragmentation of Peronism, and to pursue, using the resources, a clientelistic structure that would allow them to stay in office uh, forever, if not forever, for a long term. term. The original design was uh, four years Nestor, four years Cristina, four years Nestor, and then four years Cristina. Again, Nestor died. Cristina had to run for two consecutive terms. But then they were toying with an with indefinite re-election as well until the Supreme Court stopped that dream, the, the dream of perpetuation, uh, something that was very popular in Latin America. Well, it's popular in Bolivia right now with Evo Morales, of course, uh, and something that was going on in Latin America in the days of the boom. The, the economic cycle has changed, however, and there are not enough resources now to, to finance uh, political perpetuation. Uh, uh, nothing like that is viable today. Uh, Peronism has to decide whether it wants to continue again as a hostage of uh, the Kirchners, Christina uh, alone now, or if it wants to go back to the particularly positive and democratic moment in, in Peronism, which was uh, in the 80s with Alfonsine, when Peronism was in opposition and was a loyal opposition. Those were the days in which the leader of Peronism was Antonio Cafiero, who was governor, senator, at some point presidential candidate, and uh, who was a good partner with uh, Raul Alfonsine president. Uh, and this is important. It's important because I do think that Argentine society uh, doesn't want any more perpetuation in power. Argentine society doesn't want any more uh, cadenas de televisión. I mean, doesn't want a, a president that gets into people's living rooms every day. Uh, and Argentines want alternation in power. Uh, Argentines want uh, democracy with institutional quality. Uh, and Peronism has to make a decision if he wants to go back to not even the old populism of the past. If he wants to go back to the old uh, Christina Kirchner type of leadership, uh, its future will be at stake. And, and it's going to make you know, the, the democratic road uh, perhaps a little rough. 
But if Pyrrhonism goes back to that moment of democracy, that moment in which uh, Cafiro used to say, we have to drop the idea of a movement and, and we have to build a party. A normal, he used to say those words in the 80s, a normal political party, a party that wins elections and a party that loses elections. And a party that when an election is lost, when defeating an election, nothing happens. Uh, it's not the end of it. It's, it's the beginning of a new future. If we're not, he used to say, if we're not able to do that, we will miss the boat. Because, and that was in the 80s, democracy is here to stay. Uh, and, and the fact that we lost, he used to say, in 1983, uh, in the hands of a candidate that used to talk that talk, that that was you know, his, his, uh, his discourse, uh, we, we, need to, we need to realize that. I think Peronism, the bed noir is, is less bad than we tend to think, but it has a decision to make, and that will also uh, be the full circle for uh, Argentine democracy and, and stability. Whether it's gonna again, whether it's gonna continue uh, in the Cristina Kirchner neighborhood or it's gonna go back to the Cafiro neighborhood, as in the 80s, and, and become a normal political party. If it becomes a normal political party, it will continue to have a future. It will continue to have an identity. If it doesn't, it, it might as well disappear. I was daring and, and in the in the run-up to in the in the previous. Uh, period before the election of 2015, I wrote a column saying uh, the end of Peronism, a fin del Peronismo. Uh, and my Peronist friends, you know, uh, called me from Argentina, furious to, with me. Uh, how did, dare you say something like that? Or what do you think? And it's, well, <laughs> we'll see. But I do think if it goes back to democracy, it has a future. If it doesn't, uh, to constitutional democracy with alternation, separation of power, checks and balances, and all the democracy, uh, not as a method to getting votes, but as a method of exercising power. If it does it, then my optimism about Argentina will become even stronger, much, much stronger. Uh, thank you very much. No, me quedo aquí. All right. No, I'm going to stay here. Okay. Questions? questions? No questions? Oh, yeah. La derecha. Yeah, over there. Yeah. Uh, Henry Hecker with Higher Going. Perhaps you remember years ago, maybe it's five, ten years, uh, a decision was made to try to balance uh, uh, a trade deficit which was looming out of control and get it back in a position where the currency wouldn't be uh, affected or possibly demolished by it. And they decided that regarding China, uh, the trade would have to be even. Whatever was imported to Argentina would have to balance with its exports. I don't know how far this concept went, but it appeared to be pretty strong for a time. Uh, is it still well, in effect or has it been forgotten? What was that decision? Balance of payments, uh, a, a decision regarding imports and exports with China. The total value of it had to be even. They wanted an even, oh, you know, uh, distribution uh, of import and exports. So the 
trade imbalance wouldn't uh, kill Yeah, protectionism. Uh, under How does that look years. right now? Is it changed? Or? No, it's been gradually open. I mean, the, the, the trade account has been gradually open. Uh, one aspect of this is that uh, Argentina has had, uh, with the exceptional periods, Argentina has had a current account deficit for a long time. Um, and largely because of the use of the nominal anchor to control for inflation, right? The nominal anchor to the exchange rate to control for inflation, which has resulted in you know, real exchange rate appreciation and a current account balance after that. And that has, has happened with you know, pretty much all presidents. Uh, that was sporadic. And right now, I haven't seen the numbers recently, but I, but I think there is, a, there is a trade deficit again. Uh, with the economy more open. Now, there is more access to financing now compared to uh, the, the last years of Christina Kirchner under the, you know, the second default, right? Particularly after the second default. So, um, no, that is like that. We'll see uh, how, to, how to figure out that equation is, is one of the big challenges of the, of the Macri government because of how to finance the, the current account as well. There's a limited time horizon when you're running a, when the, the, the current account deficit is growing, right? And, uh, and that's why he was here just a couple of weeks ago in New York to, to precisely, there's been, there's been investment going into Argentina, but it's been largely in financial instruments. And now Argentina has to produce, you know, uh, and after this, you know, political new phase well, Argentina is open for business to more long-term business, more-term investment, right? And that's that's a big challenge. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Go ahead. Thank you, Alex Sanchez, my defense analyst. Two questions. Um, one: If the Peronistas do expel Kirchner, do you think that she will try to just create a party of her own? Uh, as very common in Latin America, that one person will just create a party based on that person's ideology, not so much, you know any kind of long-term prospect. And two, you just mentioned about how Argentina is open for business and investment. Um, just as we, if I'm not mistaken, the Mapuches in both Chile and Argentina protested against saying that they're against no investment, no people, take, companies going out, taking, out their, taking over their land, no deforestation and so on. Um, in this new political order in Argentina and with the Macri presidency, where do the Mapuches and their and their rights land? Are they going to be, do you think they're, they're going to be protected more than they did under Kirchner, or is this just an ongoing problem that's not going to be solved? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, first, uh, I don't think Christina Kirchner has to be expelled. I mean, the, the, there's a reality here that uh, after Peron, uh, this is not the first attempt of creating an identity uh, within Peronism, right? Menem did the same. He was president for 10 years, and there was Menemism, which disappeared the moment he left power. I mean, and then when he wanted to come back in an election, he got 25 percent, uh, and that was it. And then he didn't go for the second round, if you remember. <laughs> that was, you know, quite something. So I, I think the Peronism, I mean, the politics is, uh, politics is renewal. And, uh, well, the Kirchner, uh, the Kirchner's uh, 
or the past. And Cristina just lost an election uh, the other day in the, in the province of Buenos Aires, which historically had been the stronghold of Peronism. And, well, and it's not the first time, by the way, that Peronism loses an election in the province of Buenos Aires. So uh, that's democracy. That's, that's what politics is about. You win today, you lose tomorrow. Uh, rightly so. Uh, Peronism needs to uh, sort of do some soul searching about the, this experience of authoritarianism, of, uh, of, of very harsh authoritarianism uh, under Nestor and Christina Kirchner. And if it continues that way, uh, it's going to continue declining. Uh, if it goes through a period of renewal and and, and renewal of democratic convictions also, well, then it, it will have a future. It's interesting because there is something about Argentina that uh, there was an interview to Federico Pinedo this weekend, who was the president of the Senate, uh, whose roots are conservatism. Uh, and then he, he was, it was an extraordinary interview in, in a magazine where he says, well, there is something that Peronism left to us that belongs to all of us now. Uh, it's been, you know, quite a long period of history, and there's something about social justice and social equality that is inherent to our way of understanding society and understanding politics that goes beyond Peronism. It belongs to all of us. And that, apropos the discussion that whether pro is right or, or, or not right and center on what it is, and, 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 and it's a, new, it's a new, new set of categories to understand this these things. And then back to the Mapuches, well, the Mapuches were very much tied to, yes, the, there is a conflict, the conflict is a fraction of the magnitude of the conflict in Chile, if nothing less because of the sheer size of the Mapuche population in one country and the other, you know, which in Argentina is much smaller than in Chile. And, and by the way, uh, the Mapuche groups are in Chile have been active for 25 years at least. Uh, uh, using violent methods also, uh, you know, uh, and uh, it's been a lot less like that than that in Argentina, and it's been exacerbated and magnified because of this, you know, uh, this tragedy of uh, Santiago Maldonado, the, the case of uh, this guy who was not a Mapuche himself, but lived close by and sympathized with the cause of Mapuches, and, and then he disappeared, and then there was constructed, now we know what happened, but it was constructed as the government uh, doing the, uh, kidnapping him and disappearing. And you know, in Argentina to say uh, the government, uh, there, there even, there's a verb that doesn't exist in real Spanish, but it exists in Argentina about the verb to disappear uh, in, in, the, in the colloquial way of speaking. And then I say, well, the government disappeared uh, Santiago Maldonado, and that created quite a bit of conflict. Now we know Santiago Maldonado crossed a river. He didn't know how to how to swim, and he drowned there. And the government didn't disappear anybody, uh, and it was used and manipulated for electoral purposes. And it was very unfortunate for the family and uh, and, uh, and, and and for the political for the normal political process. Now. What I think about the Mapuche, I think we live in a time in the world, in time of tribal, tribalism, right? And uh, if, which is, you know, the, the, the exacerbation of the politics of identity. And this is, you know, minor in uh, the south of Argentina, 
compared to, of course, Catalonia or, or many other parts in Europe, uh, which is problematic and unfortunate. It has to do with this, you know, nationalism as a sort of response, as a part of the anti-liberal response to democracy, anti-liberal in European terms, not in American terms. This anti-liberal response to to politics in, in many parts of the world, and, and na exacerbated nationalism is is one version of that, which is uh, unfortunate. It's also short-sighted, very short-sighted, because you know, um, the how how small would you disaggregate uh, a nation, right? Say if, if Catalonia, I wrote something about that. If Catalonia becomes a state. Uh, what do we do with multiculturalism in, in Catalonia? What do we do with a very sizable uh, population that immigrated uh, from other parts of Spain? There is a, a very large community from Andalusia, for example, in Catalonia, very large community. And then if the uh, Andalus Catalonians, you know, propose secession, what will Catalonia do at the time, right? And so on and so forth. If for every tribe there is a state, uh, then there is no there is no there is no world, right? Having said this, uh, I don't think the Mapuche conflict could be or, or was in any way what the world investors in terms of deciding this, making decisions about investing in Argentina or not. What was what was making them wait was. <coughs> the October election, if it would consolidate the, the government or it would give a victory to Christina Kirchner and signal a return of Christina Kirchner in 2019. And if she had won the province of Buenos Aires, she would be talking about returning. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessing in disguise for Peronism also that they lost because they can go through renewal. Going back in time in politics is is, is very is very unforgiving. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you for your very clear presentation. I wondered if you could comment on the strength of the judicial system. How strong and independent is it today? And as a corollary, what is happening with the investigation of the Nisman case? Well, to tell the truth, I, all I know about the Nisman case is that it, what I read in the papers. Uh, it has uh, been determined now, it has been ruled as a murder, as an assassination. Uh, and, and the investigation is going to be reopened. It has been reopened, and we'll wait and see. Uh, I don't know the specifics, whether it's too late. Some people say it's too late to, to come up with a, you know, there's, there's, there's a new, there are new suspects, people who at the time were close to Nisman and that had not been charged, and now it appears they, they have been charged or they, or they will be charged. I, I don't know for sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the most serious, you know, uh, death crime in the Argentina's, Argentina's democracy since 1983, most definitely. 
that's one thing. You you also said something else. Oh, the judiciary. Oh, it's interesting. I was there for a seminar on judicial cooperation uh, just two weeks ago, and uh, the the judiciary has done, I, I think, has done a commendable uh, task and job in Argentina for the last 10 years. I mean, it's interesting because now when they're charging people one every day for corruption, right? And then even Lilita Carrillo said in a conference, in a seminar that day when they, when they charged the former vice president and they arrested the former vice president, she recriminated the judiciary for being fast now and slow in the past. And I don't think that's fair because, number one, Boudou, the former vice president, had been charged when he was vice president. Now, if the, if the case didn't move fast enough, well, uh, I don't think it's fair to expect uh, uh, anybody to, uh, to, make, to commit uh, suicide. I mean, in, in the sense that, uh, you know, why would the judges uh, be in charge of moving it faster than they could? put it that way. All things considered, they've remained independent. Uh, the Supreme Court has ruled in a number of very important cases in, in protecting the institutions and protecting constitutional democracy. Um, there was a project by the government, the Christina Kirchner government, uh, to modify the way judges are appointed, uh, and that would have led to, to her re-election, most likely, and the Supreme Court stopped it right there. When Christina Kirchner was very strong, by the way, that was in 2012. She, she had just been reelected with 52, 53% of the votes. And, uh, and the Supreme Court stopped it. The, the judiciary is doing you know, a good job. If it, if it goes, and, and it's truly independent, if it goes fast or it goes slow, well, there's, it's a matter of opinion. Now what we know is that there is another important you know, aspect of this, is that you know, corruption is being punished. And, uh, and people who, you know, DeVito was in, you know, former minister of Kirchner, known to be the cashier, right? His nickname was Julio DeVito, the cashier. Um, that defines why. Uh, well, he's, he's in jail now and with the process open and, and had been uh, a strip of his uh, parliamentary immunity because he's, he was a, a member of Congress. So, and all that uh, has to do with the judiciary. So, that is that is quite okay and quite unprecedented because the, the judiciary also has been independent of the, the Kirchner government in, in several instances. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I have two interrelated questions. The first one is. You talked about Cambiemos having uh, at least two viable presidential candidates in the future that aren't Macri, Vidal and Peña, and it prob probably also Cario, you can probably say. Um, so I'm wondering if you can define or you can see the future primarias in, in between the three of them or the two of them. What are the divisions within Cambiemos that you're beginning to see? And the second question is the relationship between Macri and Peronismo itself. 
Um, a good example of this was prior to winning the election in 2015, he was the one who revealed the statue of Perón in Buenos Aires with Moshano and everything around him, right? So I'm wondering how you see Macri as um, integrating his movement with Peronismo as an electoral force. For example, right now they just passed the um, uh, labor reform with the CGT and also the um, fiscal uh, co-participación with the provinces, which many of them are Peronistas still. So I'm wondering if you can talk about that relationship as well. Yeah. Okay. The, all, all I was trying to say is I can't imagine that if if the if the next two years are relatively smooth, can't imagine the candidate for for 2019 will not be Macri himself. Uh, I was just saying that. Uh, trying to illustrate that Pro brings to politics a renewal of the political elite, a significant renewal of the political elite in which many people are viable. Uh, not that I know that any of them will want to be candidate in 2019 or anything of that sort. A different matter is with the partners in the coalition. Both Mario Eugenia Vidal and Marcos Peña are part of Pro, but a different issue would be with the the radical party is now, right now, in a process of discussion of, uh, well, what will be the, the shape of the coalition in the next two years after this election, and with a new Congress uh, as of December 10th, right? And, well, it's, it's a legitimate concern. I mean, what is their role, their space? What do they have to do? And, and what if, as you say, well, the radical party wants to have a candidate? I mean, well, the next one is ours. Let's say that, like the Christian Democrats and the Socialists in Chile. I mean, the first two, Edwin and, and Frey, were Christian Democrats. But then it was clear, well, the next one, if, if the Socialists did say, well, if, if we want to keep the, the coalition, the next one will be a Socialist. And it was Ricardo Lagos at the time. So that may happen. It may happen now. It may happen in the future. It's, it's parties, you know, parties have to have candidates. Otherwise, they disappear. We don't know who they are anymore. That's one thing. The other thing about Peronism and Macri, you know, Peronism is a big tent. And it's a very heterogeneous tent. And, uh, and it doesn't have a, much of a, especially these days, post-Kirchner, it doesn't have much of a cohesive center of gravity. And so, by the way, even with a minority Congress with, a, uh, with an opposition Senate, uh, the government has had a terrific relationship with the Peronist senators, most of them, who control the Senate, because you know, this, this, you know the, mo all those provinces have uh, Peronist governors, provinces in the Northwest, and so on and so forth. And, and the government had a very good relationship with them, all of them. It was a different story in the House, but in the Senate they did. And that is, the, the issue is that, yes, as in the US, by the way, the senators are more pragmatic. Uh, the senators have a longer time horizon. Uh, here is unfortunate because every two years everybody comes up for re-election in the House, which is you know, a little you know, dysfunctional for the normal operation. Uh, but the senators have six years and so on and so forth, so they have different incentives. And the same in Argentina. It's, it's, it's four years for members of Congress and six years for senators. So 
that has worked. The other thing is that, uh, you know, a little bit of an anecdote. Uh, Dualde, after being president, wanted to uh, attract Macri to Peronism. Uh, and, uh, and it didn't work. Uh, that, in order to make the point that uh, good news is that the pro is not, it's not anti-parentist. Uh, it's good news because uh, whether you like it or not, it's going to be, you know, 25-30% uh, of the electorate uh, for the foreseeable future, which is not enough. And then you need to put together a different kind of coalition. And, uh, but I, I don't see any Mozano or anybody else is, that has been, by the way, uh, there are several parents in Cambiemos, I mean, uh, in, the, in, in government and in Congress, uh, that decided to break with uh, Kirchnerism way back. I don't know, he, he recently died. I don't know, are you from Argentina? What? Oh, okay, well, Momo Venegas. Uh, he just died a, a couple of months ago. He was a labor leader who broke up with the Kirchnerism very explicitly years ago said, they don't represent me anymore. They don't represent what we want. And was part of the pro and was elected to the House. And then he, he, he just died a few months ago while uh, being a congressman. Uh, so that, I, I don't see that as a, as a serious problem whatsoever. Yeah, lady here. Thank you. My name is Li Yang. Thanks for your presentation. Uh, just, uh, could you tell me more about their social, economic, political background? Uh, how many people, what percentage of non-voters, and uh, how how are their people edu education background and the wealth distribution and how is their reaction about uh, Trump's uh, policy in immigration and nationalism, something like that? Not much. I can, uh, Argentina has one third of the population in poverty. Uh, it was partly a yeah, legacy of you know, the years of the Kirchner's. What else did you say? Wealth distribution, what uh, immigration, what aspect of immigration? I don't know. And the immigration, like if the Trump, they don't uh, welcome the immigration, immigration to the U.S. In the U.S.? It's not as significant as, by geography alone, I know it's not as significant as other countries in Latin America. And that, again, by geography alone. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question. I suppose that Trump have a different policy than Obama on Cuba. I just wonder, any difference from other Latin America or Argentina? Yeah, I know about the change of policy, the change of Cuba policy, but uh, what is the implication? The implication is any political uh, reaction, uh, favoritism or unfavor against Trump? No, I don't think there's going to be any position against Trump, uh, even if 
everybody is very aware of the fact that you know Trump's protectionism um, will hurt eventually Argentina's exports to the U.S. like everybody else, and 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 they are concerned about that. There's been a an issue with the biodiesel, with you know that uh, bio Argentina exports biodiesel to the U.S. and now now has fallen under you know a new protectionist measures and Argentina has complained about that. Macri himself has complained about that. Actually, uh, Vice President Pence was in Argentina and and Macri made a, a public complaint about that in Buenos Aires. And uh, that, you know, equal rules, reciprocity, we we need to continue exporting. So is the wealth distribution very extreme toward uh, one percent or something like that. I don't remember the genie on the top of my head. If that's your question, uh, no. Uh, but Argentina has thirty percent of population in poverty. That that I, I do know is a is a term of the normal political debate, of the regular everyday political debate. How about the uh, prison population? How much what prison population? Do they incarcerate a lot of political opponents? I, I don't know. And I don't know. Okay, we have uh, come to the end of our event. We thank you for attending, and uh, of course, we thank Professor Shamis for giving us a taste of his vast knowledge on Latin American politics. So let's give our speaker a final round of applause as a recognition. Thank you.